Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Radio Free Mormon, it's Bill Real. Uh, both of us are here live in the studio. We're ready to rock another show. RFM, how are you doing? I am great. I am so excited to be here with you tonight, Bill Real. What a crazy week yeah, this has it, been. It has been some craziness in Mormonism. So the two things we're going to cover tonight, and we should note, by the way, for those of you who are listening to the audio podcast, I've gotten some messages this week asking, hey, when do you guys do this live show thing? I'd love to tune in live. So it is Wednesdays at 6.20 p.m. Um, Mountain Time, and the best place to find it is on YouTube, on the Mormon Discussions YouTube channel. If you Google Mormon Space Discussions, you will get a bunch of church videos, but if you type in YouTube and then Mormon and no space, just connect discussions right to the end of it, our YouTube channel is the top search result. We'll see if the church does anything and pays uh, Google and Bing to change that. But as of right now, we are number one when you do it that way. And uh, folks, just want to say donations have been coming in pretty well this week. Uh, there were a couple of thousand dollar donations, RFM, which wow. go a long way if people uh, who have the means can donate that kind of money to this program. If you and I can get to a place where we can, can make enough to just do Mormon conversations all the time, this that would be a lot of fun. Um before we get started, any thoughts from you before we jump into the first topic? Well, yeah, just what a crazy week, and it all came about last Sunday. By the way, tonight is April 21st, 2021, uh, this past Sunday being, what, the 18th, I think it was, of April, and there was not just a one-ring circus going on. There was a two-ring circus, as it turned out, and one of them had to do with Natasha, or Natasha, and the other one had to do with Kwaku. And I thought that we should start by talking about Natasha, especially since we have some late breaking news as to the result of her council of love that she attended, or at least almost attended, in Kansas. Yeah, that's the first place we're going to start. And so you've you've lined out a bunch of points here, and they're all the same ideas that are running around in my head. Um, why don't you get us started here and talk to us about some of the things you were thinking as this whole process unfolded? Well, sure. The first thing that was a bit odd about it was that it was happening in Kansas, uh, which is a place where Natasha Helfer Parker used to live, but apparently it's been about a, a year and a half ago that she lived there. And then my understanding is she moved to Utah. Uh, if I have that wrong, please correct me. But she moved somewhere far away from Kansas and no one can blame her for that. Apologies to all listeners from Kansas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know a great joke about Kansas, but I'm not going to tell it right now. I'll tell it some other time. Anyway, can I, uh, I butt in for just a second? Just tell you that seems so strange to me. You have a person who's moved away from the ward in, in Mormonism. You grew up with this as much as I did. Your ward is where your bishop has stewardship. The moment you move in or out, those records should go immediately. And it's now that other leader. We're told all the time it's that other leader who's now responsible for us. And so it's me as a bishop when I was serving. It was my job to reach out to the new bishop when I sent the records and say, hey, here's the situation with this person. I find that the church does this, by the way, where 
unless the member moves and really quickly requires the records to move. There's been several occasions now, Kate Kelly being one of them, where they have done the disciplinary court in a location that was old, former home uh, boundary, ward boundary to that person. And then the new boundary doesn't really matter. It's just ignored. I know. I know what you're talking about. Uh, the church is very, very uh, strict on that uh, ward and state boundary kind of thing. Like you mentioned, you attend where you live and where those boundaries are drawn. Uh, you know, it's a foreign concept to Mormons, but other people in other religions, if they wanted to, to, excuse me, if they want to attend a different church, they just go to a different church. Right. But I have heard of, and I'll bet you've heard of too, people who don't want to be in their ward for one reason or another. And so they actually move to another location that's in the ward boundary where they want to go. Yeah. And that's what this, this ends up having uh, Mormons do, which yeah. is moving their whole family, their whole, their house, you know, you got to pack up, you got to move, you got to do everything that's associated with moving and selling your house and buying a new house, everything that goes along with that. Why? Just because you want to go to a different church. Yeah. There was a sister in the ward that I was Bishop in where she didn't like me. She had made an assumption about me and, and it wasn't correct, but she wouldn't let me correct it. And so her husband and her ended up attending a ward 40 minutes away and the, the stake president um, was clear, like, you can't hold a calling if you're in a ward outside of your boundary without special permission from the first presidency. They ended up getting that. She was just adamant, I'm not going back to that ward. And uh, so she went to this other ward 40 minutes away. They ended up having callings, but it was it was like a year-long fight to be able to have their records be there and be able to hold a calling. I think it's so strange that Natasha moves and they choose to do this in her old ward. Everybody knows it because by this time, the stake president and the bishop have been in communication with Salt Lake about this disciplinary court going down. They're ready for a well-known person in the Mormon blogger knackle being in this disciplinary court. They know that what's coming with this. Yes. By the way, do you have any factual basis for that allegation about uh, the first presidency in Salt Lake being involved? Or are you just speculating? I'm just saying that they were ready for media. They were ready for what was going on. Mm. They... They absolutely got a heads up. There's no way. Like when my disciplinary court happened, they had security on the grounds. They were ready. Uh, when Jeremy Runnels, when John DeLint, I mean, these guys were ready for these things when they happen. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cross-examine you there too, I'm welcome. too much. But no, uh, so basically, and it's not like it's a week or two or a month or two after she's moved. It's a year and a half later. And they're saying, no, we have your records here. Therefore, we still have jurisdiction over you, regardless of where you've moved to, which is uh, different from what you've described in like every other context in which a person moves in the church. But uh, but she flies out from Utah to Kansas. She has other people who, first off, have to be approved by the stake president mm -hmm. to speak on her behalf at the disciplinary council. And there are two people, and uh, one of them uh, I don't know, though I know her first name. I won't use it here. But the other one was uh, Katie Mount, and I don't think she'll mind my mentioning this. But she had been approved because you have to be a member in good standing in order to speak at this. Uh, so a person who's being excommunicated has to scout about and find out, number one, if there's any members in good standing who will speak for him and who will basically lay it on the line because now you're a member in good standing. You're coming to speak for someone who's accused of apostasy and what's going to happen with that. And who's that going to be reported to? And is that going to get you in trouble back in your ward with your Bishop? What ramifications will there be? Well, she found two of them. Katie Mount was one 
And they came with her. They flew out. I don't know if they flew in the same plane, but they flew out to to Kansas to be there. And they're there at the building. I believe it was scheduled to start at 7.30 p.m. last Sunday. And it's around 7 o'clock. And Katie and this other lady who's there to speak on behalf of Natasha, they need to use the restroom. Well, there's no restroom around except in the church. These are members for crying out loud. They go up to the front door. They start going in. They're met by a man. I'm sure a priesthood holder who's inside. And he asks them what they want. So we need to use the restroom. He says, no, you can't. You have to wait outside. Maybe in 20 minutes you can come back and, and you can use the restroom. So $130 billion in the bank account plus. Now we know it's way more than that today. They made $6 billion just during the COVID pandemic last year. Um, we, we clean our own bathrooms and we can't even use them. I know that alone, that alone would, would put me off cleaning bathrooms for the church forever. Okay. But this is all that's happening on the ground. And then Natasha's watching this. Of course, they come back. It's like 720 or something like that. It's closer to the time for the disciplinary council to begin. There's a fracas involving the cell phone, Natasha's cell phone, which they want her to turn over, which she refuses to turn over. And then that becomes the hill that both sides decide that they're going to die on. And it ends up scotching the entire discipline here, disciplinary hearing, or at least Natasha's attendance at it and her witness's attendance at it. And so while this is going on, sometime before or after or during, I'm not sure on the timeline, I was hoping to get Katie on the, the show tonight, but she's otherwise engaged. Um, they still need to use the, the restroom. And if not as much, probably more than they did 20 minutes before and they really needed to. And they're told once again, no, you can't come in. You cannot use the facilities here. There is no room for you in this inn. And all of this ends up, uh, I think this was the straw. I think the cell phone was a straw. I think there were a lot of other things that were adding on to the burden that Natasha was carrying regarding submitting herself to this proceeding and having to fly out there in order to do that. Um, I mean, it's a long way to go just to get excommunicated. I'm sure they'll reimburse her for the lost cost, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, that's all that's going on. And uh, so then it blows up. They, they don't have the Natasha, the Natasha, Natasha and the witnesses attend the disciplinary council. They leave doors closed. No restrooms are used that night by attendees. And they go ahead and they go back in. And I know a lot of people were asking, a lot of people were asking, well, are they going to reschedule the disciplinary council, or are they going to go on without her? And I'm sitting there saying, well, no, of course they're going to go on without her. They're not going to reschedule this hearing. I mean, some of these guys on the disciplinary council must have had to drive like several miles in order to be at the building that night. <laughs> they're not They're not going to reschedule this. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of miles by some and a couple of miles by another, right? Oh, yeah, they're not going to reschedule this. So anyway, and then the, 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 the coup de grace, of course, I thought was that you've got a bunch of uh, Mormon supporters or post-Mormon supporters or non-Mormon, anyway, supporters of Natasha who are not immediately outside the building and they're not in the parking lot. I think they were on a grassy place on the far side of the parking lot from the building. And all they're doing out there is being very peaceful. I know because it's being live streamed and some people are coming up and John DeLynn is showing people who wanted to make comments and statements of support for Natasha. Very peaceful. Uh, it couldn't be more peaceful. And of course, then everything falls through and all of a sudden, who should show up in the parking lot but the local constabulary? Because they called the cops. The cop cars show up in the parking lot. 
it's like these guys are rioting or something and they have to be uh, arrested or taken away or forced off the property. So if it couldn't look worse already, that then it looked even worse once they called the cops to disperse these uh, very, very peaceful people who were not protesting. They were, I mean, they were rioting. They weren't even protesting. They're just standing there in a vigil of sorts. And so they ended up leaving. But I thought, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding. Why are you doing this? Is what I kept thinking. Why are you doing this? Um, I want to let you get in here because I'm ready to go into my last bit of my tirade. Do you have anything else you want to say about Natasha there? Yeah, just the idea that when they they told her to turn her cell phone, when I had my disciplinary court, my stake president had all these ducks in a row. And he asked me, he said, and he told me ahead of time, I had to sign a little paper that said I would not bring my cell phone with me. And I had to sign something that night that I didn't have any kind of recording device. And so these guys were on top of it in my situation. I knew ahead of time that if it was going to be recorded, it would need to occur some other way than me uh, being the one recording. And it would need to be some other way than me doing it on my phone. Um, and so I knew that that would have to happen. Um, nod, nod, wink, wink. So there's that. And I just am surprised that they weren't better organized and let her know ahead of time that she wouldn't be able to bring her phone. Yeah. Because I understand that you, you shouldn't be caught off guard by this stuff. Again, Jesus and the adulterer and right. He, uh, without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus seems really merciful and he seems willing to sit down with the sinners and work things out. Um, Mormon Jesus, on the other hand, seemed to have a little more of a struggle. That's the Old Testament Jesus coming through. Well, yeah, Old Testament Jesus. Ooh, ah, throw stuff around and yeah. kind of violent. Genocidal Jesus, you know? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, by the way, we also know, because it just happened, that it was posted that Natasha got the letter from her state president. Yeah. It's not even her state president. It's some guy out in Kansas, as far as I'm concerned. What was it? What, what, what happened? Well, it was posted, and uh, it was excommunication. Yeah. She's welcome, been excommunicated. Welcome to the club. You, I think you've entered the real celestial kingdom, which is to exit the church and grab your own life back again. Yes, and actually, I wore this T-shirt in honor of you uh, tonight, Bill, because you're one of the X-Men. X standing, of course, for excommunication. It's uh, yeah. a Marvel comic. Maybe some people don't know that. But anyway, and now Natasha's a member. She's an X-Men. Or an ex-woman, you know, it came out in the 60s. and But of course, some of the greatest characters in the X-Men are women. You got Rogue, you got Storm, you got Jubilee, you've got Jean Grey for crying out loud. Yeah. Who becomes Dark Phoenix, most powerful mm -hmm. ever. So anyway, I wanted to wear this just for you. Um, maybe I'll make a present of it to you since it doesn't apply to me yet, apparently. I love it, but wash it first. Okay, the value will go way down if I do way that. Down. I sign the back, throw it through the wash machine and then sign <laughs> the back. Okay, but I'm looking at all this stuff going on, uh, and I'm just thinking, why are you doing this? Because, look, first off, it's the wrong thing to do, okay? But even if it's the wrong thing to do, people with common sense would know that it really looks bad on top of that. It's not just the wrong thing to do. It looks bad. And what I thought is, why don't you just, instead, you know, come on in, use the restroom. You got people out there who are on the other side of the parking lot. Send somebody out. Send, say, President, go out there. Talk to these people. Say, look, if you guys want to be here, you're welcome. If you'd like to come into uh, the stake center, uh, you can set up some chairs or we'll help you set up chairs in the cultural hall. You know, we'll get you some hot cocoa from the kitchen. You guys can stay here. The witnesses can stay here. We'll come get them when it's time. Uh, do that for crying out loud because you never lose by being kind. 
You never lose by being courteous and nice and respectful. You can't lose in that position because let's say you do it and everything goes fine and everybody acts the way they would, which is nice and normal and courteous, right? Mm -hmm. You look good. Even if you excommunicate Natasha, right? You look good. And that's important because you're doing the right thing. And then let's say they went crazy and they spray painted the inside of the, uh, the gym, right? And put all these tags up. Well, then you look even better because now you're looking nice by comparison to people who took your courtesy and then peed all over you, right? Yeah. yeah. Once again, be very clear, I don't think that would happen. I'm just using that as a hypothetical, right? Because I don't think you lose by being nice. And if someone pees all over you after you've been nice to them, then they look even worse than they would have if you hadn't been nice to them in the first place. Does that make sense? It does. Well, this takes us now to Kwaku. Yeah, and, and I want to finish one little thing here before we jump into him, which is... Okay, don't kill my segue. No, I, I won't. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't mind the cross-examination. You said that earlier to me. By the way, when you're being honest, when you're being authentic, when you're being vulnerable, you never have to worry about the cross-examination, do you? No, no. If you just tell the truth, just, you know, just tell the truth. Yeah. And if someone says, uh, oh, were you mistaken about this? And you realize you were mistaken. Yeah, you just oh, say, okay. I was mistaken. Yep. The, the thing that catches me is we talked about last, it was either last week or the week before we talked about the membership numbers. Maybe it was two weeks ago. We talked about membership numbers and we talked about how the church is losing people. The numbers are significantly down. We also talked about how they're manipulating the numbers. So they're actually worse maybe than what they're telling us. And we can, we can show that with my favorite word demonstrably. Um, I, it bothers me a lot that this church is in the midst of losing people. It is trying to figure out ways to lose more people. In other words, you have people like Katie Mount who is out there, who is um, at times like having like a little bit of like, Oh my goodness, my goodness. I see my husband. He is uh, coming from a non-believer perspective. And I see the, the heart uh, emotional uh, journey that that's been on him. And I, you know, she's having conversations and talking and wondering about all these issues, just like all the rest of us are. And the church should be working its ass off to save all of these folks who are in this middle ground, who are aware of the issues. They're aware of the messiness. They're trying to make Mormonism work. And what Mormonism keeps doing is spitting in their faces because it doesn't really want them in a church that's losing people in at least some degree of significant numbers. Yeah, you think that that was their whole plan was to lose more people. You would think so. And you're right. It's not just the non-Mormons or the ex-Mormons who are there that they're refusing admittance to the building to use the restroom for crying out loud. It's two of their own. These two guys are on their team. They pay tithing. Yes. They have they're there. They're, they're members. They've been approved by the state president as active yeah. believing members who probably called their local leaders to make sure that everything's on the up and up. And what do they do? They say, slam, you can't come in. It's absolutely ridiculous. So it's no wonder, LDS Church, why you're struggling to get people in and people can't get through the double doors fast enough. Yeah. Back to my segue? Okay, go for it. Okay, I'm going to try and build up this momentum again, get back to my segue. All right, so the deal is that uh, if you're nice to somebody and then they pee all over you, then they look even worse than they would have if you hadn't been nice to them because there's a matter of contrast there, which takes us to Kwaku from last week. Uh, we had a really uh, interesting, I thought it was a nice meeting, con conversation with Kwaku last week. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people really, really liked it. A lot of people really hated it. And the people who liked it liked it because we were building bridges. We're giving him a chance to express himself. 
We're not there to try and uh, trap him or do any gotcha questions or, you know, grab his head and give a, one of these on top. We're just sitting there talking to him. And that was the whole point, really. That was the whole point from my point of view in, in doing this, to find out what it was that he actually believes and why it is that he believes it. Uh, my experience has been if you start trying to debate someone, uh, you know, when, when I was younger, in my, in my 20s, debate was it. Oh, man, I wanted to debate anything. I'd pull strangers in off the street so I could debate them about Mormonism, right? I wanted to make them believe. I wanted to make them understand that I was right and that the scriptures supported Mormonism. And I knew the scriptures better than they did and everything. But after a while, that gets very boring because as soon as you start debating, you, you rapidly go into this script. And the script has been replayed hundreds, if not thousands of times where you give your scripted arguments and they give their scripted responses and then you give your scripted rebuttal and they give their scripture, uh, their, their scripted rebuttal. And it's just boring. You don't learn anything, or at least I don't learn anything through right. debating. But I, I did feel like I learned a lot uh, about Kwaku from him on this past uh, week's episode. And unfortunately, I learned more about him from what he did on Sunday. By the way, before we go any further, there is a scene... It's one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies. It's Harvey with Jimmy Stewart, Jeremy Stewart, where he plays uh, Elwood P. Dowd. I was actually in this play in high school. I wasn't Elwood P. Dowd. I was just, you know, a minor character. But uh, I think everybody knows the, the premise. I hope they do, that this guy is like the nicest guy in the world, but he's a little bit quirky because he's best friends with an invisible six-foot-tall rabbit. Nobody else can see him, and the rabbit's name is Harvey. But other, I mean, he, he's totally harmless. He's not just harmless. He's a wonderful, a wonderful guy. And he ends up getting committed to a mental institution. And there's this scene here where he gives his philosophy in life. And it's like a 30 second scene. It's absolutely beautiful. It is a line that I've remembered ever since I was in this play in high school. That's how important it struck me. You ready? I'm ready. Glory to heavens, man, haven't you any righteous indignation? Oh, doctor, I, I you know, years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, in this world, Elwood, you must be, she always called me Elwood. In this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. Well, for years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. You may quote me. And there you have it, okay? In this life, you can either be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. And when he's talking about smart in the context of the play, it doesn't just mean, oh, you know a lot of stuff. It means you're clever, you're living by your wits, you're uh, living in a way that you're trying to put one over on the next guy. So that's what smart means, I believe, in the context of that. So in this life, you can either be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. For years, I was smart. I recommend pleasant. Yeah, I just want to add two things. One is that Leading up to the interview with Kwaku last week, you were very clear. I want, to, I want the audience to understand this. There were several times that I'm like, RFM, I would love to ask the tough questions. And you said, that's not what we're doing. I reached out to Kwaku. He agreed to come on. We are going to be gentlemen. We are going to stay away from anything that uh, comes off, as you pointed out, as some sort of debate. And uh, I bit my tongue multiple times. I, mean, I think that was pretty clear to the audience. And I... I think that it needs to be understood like you behind the scenes worked to build this relationship with Kwaku to say, look, you're going to have a fair chance to just talk about these issues, to explain why you left these, these groups or why they left you. 
and to talk about what all that meant without any kind of confrontation because you've butted heads with the two of us before and that's not going to happen here. And so I was adamant that I follow your lead. It was your week to create the episode and the topic. And, and so I wanted to support that. that. That should be the first thing that should be noted. The second thing was, I think we threw a lot of softballs to him that, that if he was coming from a healthy space, because, let me say it this way. When you ask somebody a question where you're looking for them to express empathy or to express understanding, emotional understanding of how messy something is for someone, a, a good person is going to give a healthy answer. A good person who's really has, has themselves kind of figured out and they want to be good to the world, they're going to, they're going to naturally give a good answer. Somebody who's not healthy will tend to still pretend they're healthy and give a good answer. Whenever you and I in our most unhealthy moments, when we're asked about something, we often are couching our words in ways as to not belittle somebody or to show a lack of empathy. I, I think he had multiple opportunities to give a healthy answer. And what I, and I, and I think that many people noticed this, I was emotionally distraught in the conversation. I went home that night. And I think I told you even on the phone that night, like I was beat. I was emotionally exhausted. I went home. My wife had to kind of just sit with me for a while because I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile. Here's this kid who is answering questions in ways that I couldn't in a million years at that age fathom answering that, that, that in that direction. I couldn't, I couldn't belittle someone's pain. I couldn't dismiss it. I couldn't have that degree of a lack of empathy or even sympathy. And I couldn't make sense of like, here, we just spent all this time on this young man. We gave him a chance to even just fake it if he wanted to. And what he chose was to, dismiss and belittle people and the trauma that comes with these journeys. I, I just had a hard time with that. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that there were a number of things that came through my mind during that episode that I did not say, and I want to stress this. Okay. Because say, some people have the idea that I say absolutely everything that comes into my mind, it comes into my mind, boom, it's out my mouth. And uh, that's why I have to take credit every chance I get for not saying certain things. So we're gonna go into some of those things actually tonight. We're not gonna be uh, hopefully rude at all. I'm certainly not gonna to tend to be rude, but I want you to know what some of those things were that went through my mind while Kwaku was responding to certain questions. We have a number of clips that we'll play and then respond to them. But I would not be doing this tonight except for the stunt that Kwaku pulled last Sunday. So let me just mention that because that's only four days after he was on our program. And I think everybody recognized that we treated him very cordially. Some people were mad we treated him too cordially, right? But nobody thought we were mean to him. <laughs> I can say that much, right? And by the way, notice this comment. I want, I don't know if you addressed it? it already. Quake who told you guys. Right. Now, I don't think that happened. And I'd like you to explain why you don't think it did. Okay. Well, here's the whole thing. Uh, I, and I've heard that too, that he played us in some way. And I'm not sure exactly how he played us because... We were courteous. We were respectful. And this goes back to my, my thought that I had before. You can't lose by being courteous and respectful. You can't. He, if, I know there's an idea out here, and perhaps this particular listener thinks this, that he played us in order to boost his level of uh, visibility in order to try and get listeners to this program to go and watch his performance on 
Sunday evening. And that may be true. I honestly don't know if that's true. I can't read his mind. But to the extent that he did do that, what he was doing was he was pissing all over us and all over our audience. And it was bad enough what he did, in my opinion. But how bad it was was only highlighted by how he was treated with courtesy and respect four days before on this show. And that's why I think you can't lose by being nice. And ultimately, the way things turned out, I mean, it was his decision to do what he did Sunday. But as it turned out, we're the ones who played him. Yeah. And, and I want to say, too, um, I, I, let me ask you a question. I'll put it this way. After his conversation with us, do you think the church, the More Good Foundation, FAIR, Saints Unscripted, Three Mormons, do you, do you think those groups are more likely or less likely to utilize Kwaku in the future? I know you asked me that question not long after last week's podcast, and I said, eh, probably not. But I'll tell you, he made himself absolutely radioactive after what he did last Sunday. So let's just talk about that briefly. Is that okay? Perfect. And then we'll get to the clips from last week's show. Okay. So I want it remembered, and I want it a matter of record what he did last Sunday, because otherwise it will be forgotten in time. What he did was he advertised that he was going to have a video presentation in which he was going to give an apology to John DeLynn. So he said some snarky things in the past in, in prior episodes about John DeLynn. And, you know, I had my doubts, but I really wanted to believe that maybe the way he was treated here softened his heart, made him open to the idea that maybe entering into a discourse of good faith and courtesy and professionalism uh, was, was the way to go and to be embraced in this broader community of discussion about things Mormon, where you don't have to go and make fun of the way people look or, or whatever it is that he does. And he does do that, I know. So um, I was maybe 90-10 on it. I was thinking 90%, uh, it's tough to believe, 10% really hoping. So I was watching on Sunday night at six o'clock. By the way, he did schedule it at exactly the same time that uh, Natasha's thing was going down in Kansas. I don't know if that was intentional or not. It was certainly a coincidence, regardless. But I was there watching that and there was a countdown going on and people were making comments already. And so I went on as Radio Free Mormon and I said, right before it started, I said, good luck, Quaku. Because I was thinking, what do I say here? Well, good luck, Quaku, exclamation point. And then all of a sudden, right before it started, uh, the thumbnail switched and it went from an apology to John DeLynn to the end and totally different. And I went, oh my gosh, no, please, no. So it was obvious, 10 seconds in, this was a bait and switch. He was saying it was going to be an apology to John DeLynn to try and get people to watch who otherwise wouldn't. And then he's just going to do a hit piece on John DeLynn instead of an apology. Um, and, yeah, and so noted too that when Stephen Smoot, before it started, Stephen yeah. Smoot put a comment up on there. And the comment, when I saw it, and I, and I think you felt the same way, when you saw it, it seemed like, uh-oh, it looks like Stephen Smoot is in on it. He and was. he's trying to play the audience, but it looked... It, it looked too intentional. And yeah. so it felt, it felt fake. Steven Smoot is very ham-fisted yeah. in how he operates because he because what he does is right before, this is when I knew it was a it was a lie. I knew it was a lie about the apology, thanks to Steven Smoot. It was right before it even started. And he says um, in his comment something about, oh, wow, I wonder if Quaku's going to say that he's going to think about leaving the church like he told me he was this morning. Right. And I went, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding. Right. 
You're and, such a nimrod. Yeah. And that to me is telling Smoot isn't a part of, of Stone 16. Smoot is just another apologist that runs in the same circles as Kwaku. Yeah. And Smoot does some things for fairy, does some things, I think, for interpreter. Uh, he's kind of the next Egyptologist in training. Well, he was on one of the tits videos, remember? Yeah. So it is interesting to see that this had some planning across platforms on some degree, or at least with friends. Right? <laughs> okay. Now I'm thinking of something that I'm not going to say. Okay. But I'll tell you later if you remind me. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try to believe me. You. It's funny. Our it's post- funny, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. It, I just want to recognize that Smoot was in on it too. And they had a conversation and who knows who else was planning this behind the scenes, but it certainly wasn't just stone 16. No, absolutely not. Excuse me. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. Perfect. Uh, And, you know, I'm trying to actually be nice because there's Steven Smoot and he and I, you know, we go back a ways and I know that you and he go back a ways and he's earned the nickname, uh, Steven Bukake Smoot. Yeah. And I almost, I almost put in a comment, Bukake is in the building. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't because I want to support Quaku and what it is I hope he's going to do, which is an apology to John Dillon. So it's 10 seconds in, it's obviously not. And I go ahead and I just went, um, this is my, um, apology question mark. Yeah. And then two minutes in, I figure I'm gone. And I just said, uh, I'm leaving now to support Natasha period. Very disappointed in Quaku period. Yeah. No exclamation point, no, emo- no emojis. But immediately after that, Steven Smoot is on there accusing me of leaving in a rage. Yeah. And before we get to these clips, I just want to show the first thing that got me. And, and I don't, again, I don't really need to dive into the material from the video. I'm, I'm well aware over the years of this allegation and the data behind it. And, and I'm not going to dismiss or diminish the, the, uh, the trauma that women experience at the hands of patriarchy and men. Hmm. I recognize that. So I'm not being dismissive. And if anybody wants to talk to me off the air, I'm happy to have that conversation. Um, but what I did notice was that Kwaku was dead set. His agenda that night was to um, go after John DeLynn and to run John DeLynn's name through the mud. And it didn't matter how he did it, because here's one of the things that happened. I'm going to put this up on the screen. This was a quote RFM. Uh, let me change the, the background here. So your name, my name's not below you. But there is um, this quote, which was used in the presentation that Kwaku gave. Now, notice, who does that seem to be describing? Well, it says, in the past, so this is important that we read it, because this will be appearing in audio format, of course. Yeah, by all means. Uh, In the past, men have latched onto women's stories of rape and blasted the stories throughout the interwebs for the purpose of harming other men and the Mormon church. Women's stories of victimhood have predictably become the battleground for men's grudges against other men. What's new? Nothing. These men are not victim advocates, but activists forwarding their own agendas. Are you kidding? Did this really show up in Kwaku's video? Is it, yes, and, and Kwaku reads it, so it's in his own voice. If you oh my say. gosh, who who does this describe? This is the very thing that Kwaku is doing in yeah. this, in this whole thing. So for him to be so tone deaf, for him to be so oblivious, for him to be so dead set on his agenda that he reads something that is pointing to him as that he shouldn't be doing it. 
um, to me shows, again, if you and I were preparing a presentation, that sure as hell wouldn't have been in it if I'm trying to run John DeLynn's name through the mud. No, the lack of self-awareness is astonishing. Yeah. And and I'll get to it at the end when we talk about how Kwaku responded afterward. I was able to get him to participate in a Facebook post, and he again shows his true colors. If you thought that Kwaku really does just care about women and abuse, and that was the whole purpose, uh, we can talk about that later because that sure as hell wasn't the case. Right. So are you ready? Are we going to look at a few of the clips? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Last week's show. Okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second, because this is very exciting to me. I get to watch me. So the audience gets to watch me watching me. It's like I'm in a movie theater watching a movie that I'm the star of. So hang on a second. Let me get some popcorn. Okay. okay now, uh, listeners, if you get an echo, last week, I think I know what my issue was on the phone calls. Anytime, please keep me informed if we're having those echoes. What it means is that I've got more than one audio source of the same audio being shared. In other words, I'm, I'm sharing two screens or I'm sharing the audio through my roadcaster as well as coming up on the monitor screen. If you get that, please let me know. But here's the first one. This is the one I want to I riff for a moment because you and I, we both talk a lot during the week, calling each other and having conversations about the things we're working on and kind of thinking about how to better approach that stuff. I'm always thinking about how people think, how, if they're a critical thinker, if they allow rational thinking, and whether they frame what rational thinking is in the right way or whether they use irrational answers and then justify those as rational answers. And I thought this two-minute and 22-second clip was interesting. But I will say on the, on the note about um, it being, Whoop. you know, there we uh, go. <laughs> about what seems more rational – I, I don't know if I'm convinced that what's more rational has to be what's more true. And I'm going to give a wild example. Of now, I, wanna, I, I don't want to stop every time along the way, but I want to note that he's right. Some things that seem irrational on the front end, like we're thinking like, oh, my goodness, my wife's not. There's no way my wife's cheating on me. And until the day you walk in the bedroom or she notifies you or you the guy calls you or you catch some evidence until that happens you are absolutely, our brain is absolutely going to go with the rational answer, the answer that makes the most sense until new evidence comes in. Real quick. But when I was in high school, the first time I, I, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, not related to church, and I started reading things about how the hedge fund manager um, was hanging out with celebrities on a small island and stealing children and trafficking them on a small island. And everyone said that's nuts. And a couple years later, a wacko goes into a pizza shop and shoots it up trying to find the kids. A couple years goes by, we figure out of that whole theory and conspiracy, the meat of it, which was written off to be something the most insane, improbable, statistically untrue, and least rational thing possible, it turned out to be that Jeffrey Epstein was actually doing those things. And involved in that was Bill Clinton and one of the princes and all of these weird things. And so I think when it gets down to it, a lot of times the things that happen in life are the least like rational things. It isn't normal for, for what happens to happen. But to me, it, I, I don't think rationality should be ever be the default. Rationality. <laughs> Rationality should never be the default. If that was true, RFM, 
we would all be walking around still believing in Santa Claus, still believing in Tooth Fairy, still believing in a flat earth, believing that we didn't land on the moon, believing that Bigfoot lives in our backyard, uh, that the new kids on the block live underneath my bed, um, that leprechauns are real, that garden gnomes come to life at night. Like the, the <laughs> realm is limitless. What he just said is absolute bullshit. And we absolutely have to go with the rational the rational idea, don't we? Well, you saw me break into laughter at that line. You see that face up there? Uh, that face up there on the screen is Radio Free Mormon trying his best not to break into laughter. Yeah. Okay. I saw some comments saying, I can't believe they kept a straight face through this whole thing, <laughs> meaning you and me. And it wasn't easy all the time, but I wanted to be courteous and gracious. And usually laughing like the way I laugh when someone says something isn't the most courteous thing. Yeah. But right, we've got a representative of Mormonism an apologist who's good enough and courageous enough to come on the show, but he has all the beliefs of Mormonism, or at least most of them, the foundational religious claims. And at the same time, he's saying, I believe these things. He's also saying, what was the last line? That rationality should not be the default. Rationality should not be the default. Right. And I think he's proving the case, right? Because he believes things where rationality is not the default. And while he was saying this example with Jeffrey Epstein, I was struck by the fact that what he's talking about is there's this big story, right? And what he's saying is half of this story is true. And that's that the half with Jeffrey Epstein uh, collecting girls and women and trafficking in them and having all the sexual stuff and whatever it was that's going on. Not good stuff. But associated with that is this other part of the story, which has to do, I guess, with QAnon and there's uh, child children being trafficked in the basement of this pizza joint in Washington, D.C., I think. And what Kwaku's saying, as I understand him, is that that part was crazy about the, the pizza joint in the basement. But guess what? This whole thing over here with Jeffrey Epstein, which sounded equally as unlikely, that was actually going on. That was the true part of the story. And, you know, he's he's right in the, describing it that way. But all I can think of hearing this from a an apologist for the LDS churches, well, we've got this big story. And part of it is that Joseph Smith is marrying girls as young as 14 and he's marrying all these women who are married to other men and he's marrying women like hell isn't having any my gosh he has around 33 by the time he passes away and, and that seems pretty incredible to me i think that would sound pretty incredible to most people and but on the other side there's this other part of the story where joseph smith says uh, an angel visited him visited him and gave him gold plates or showed him where they were hidden and he translated them by putting a seer stone into a hat right well guess what Using his same analogy, that part of the story about the angel, the plates, and the seer stone, that never happened. But this other part of the story involving the women and the sex, that did happen. So it's like he's coming on here giving an example that absolutely proves the opposite of what it is he's trying to prove. It's like he's trying to argue our case for us. Yeah. Let me play a little more here. I think truth should be the default. And what is true is... 50% of the time, really, really weird. The Boston molasses disaster in 1912 when the giant tanker of molasses explodes and destroys the city and like 21 people die and 100 something people get injured and molasses goes everywhere and fills the streets. It sounds like something out of like a Nickelodeon movie. It sounds like the fakest thing ever. And if you open a new tab right now and Google Boston molasses disaster, you'll see it. It's the most ridiculous thing that happened. So... That, that, again, that's my mind frame when I look at these things. When I look at these things about 
Joseph or Brigham Young or John Taylor or any of the miracles or anything in the Bible, I go, yes, it's not as it's not as likely. But what is ever rational? You know what I'm saying? None of this is rational. Like our world is not a rational world. So that's sort of my mind frame of it. But I, so. Yeah, let me. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me let me get rid of this for just a second here and add uh, the other screen back on. When when I was trying to make the conversation with him, like, hey, do you understand what, how rational thinking works? And I started off by saying, look, in a rational in a rational mind, and again, crazy people skip rationality; they are irrational. It's why people believe that you know aliens are talking to them or whatever things are going on. Um, a rational mind picks the conclusion that has the that seems the most reasonable. It requires the least amount of conjecture. Stephen or uh, Spencer Wright taught me that. Um, I understood the idea, but he gave me the language to it. Uh, it requires the least amount of allowances. It requires us to go like, okay, here's the data, and what explanation in our mind makes the most sense? Now, Kwaku's right. Sometimes it's not the most rational answer that ends up being true in the moment that you think the most rational answer is true and it's not. But, but none of us, not you, not me, not anybody listening right now, none of us go default to the irrational answer. What we do is we always hold the most rational answer if we're rationally thinking. Again, there's room for us to be crazy or to skip the rational conclusion and simply want to hold on to a, a belief that is absurd. And anything less than the most rational answer is batshit crazy. It doesn't matter how much less. If I, if I believe that uh, a noise in my kitchen was caused by a raccoon instead of a cat, uh, that's batshit crazy so long as I have a cat in my house and I've never had a raccoon inside. Um, until I walk into the kitchen and I see the raccoon. In other words, I hold the most rational answer and I dismiss all the ir irrational answers. And I do that until new information comes in and shows me that a less rational answer before is now the most rational answer now. We don't change our mind thinking that maybe someday in the future, evidence will prove us right. That's batshit crazy. Instead, we hold the conclusion that has the most evidence supporting it until new evidence now makes some other conclusion move up to the top of the list. That's how rational minds think. So I know you want to talk about this uh, molasses explosion, but before you do, the recognition that if, if you folks out there default to the irrational answers, you ought to go to a hospital, see a clinical psychologist, sit down and have a conversation, give them your insurance card or pay for it out of pocket if you have to, because something's wrong. You're, you're, you're having some type of mental disturbance and you need help if you're defaulting to the irrational position. And I, and I wanted to press back at the time, but I thought, no, it's not worth it. We'll get lost down this, this, this rabbit hole. Right. But we all need to be clear. I don't believe aliens are making noises in my kitchen. I don't believe raccoons are making noises in my kitchen. If I have a cat that sometimes makes noises in my kitchen and it's just me and the cat in the damn house. And so when we default to something else, we're showing our need for that belief to be held on to. I want to hold this belief. I want to believe that we that that um, that Bigfoot is real uh, and maybe Bigfoot is. I'm not saying he isn't, but the evidence is that he isn't. 
The evidence is stronger in the position that he isn't. And so until we get a real good iPhone 10 video of Book Bigfoot and we can see clearly it's not a costume, we have to default to Bigfoot isn't real if we're being rational thinking minds. And, and I want people to understand that you're welcome to believe in other things. You just don't get to impose it as the rational or most logical conclusion. And so what you end up doing is looking silly and absurd if you hold up less rational answers as the ground you hold. And in Mormonism, RFM, you have to hold a thousand irrational answers as, as the way to hold it all together. And you can see him. He, he is bogged down in his head. He's weighted down by that. And he has to make space in his words that there's a lot of irrationality in the world. 50% of the world's irrational. We should default to the irrational position because anything else would compel that kid, his cognitive dissonance to be so extreme that he would end up having to leave the church tomorrow morning. Yeah. Now, the molasses explosion. Tell us about that. Because oh, well, I'll just say a few things about this whole thing about rationality. It's an irrational world. Of course, it's not an irrational world. It's a completely rational world. And that's one of the things that science has explained to us is why it is a rational world and why it is we can predict things that will happen. Can I just prove to you right now that it's a rational world? Now, I hope this works, okay? But here we go. See my pen? I'm going to drop it now. Excuse me. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. And I'm going to, I think I know it's going to happen, but I don't know. It could be an irrational world. Wait a second. Ah, oh, uh, shoot. It, it didn't go up. It's a rational world. It didn't stay still. <laughs> it's a rational world. It is. Um, so anyway, that's one thing. Now, some of the arguments he makes here, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that because everything is irrational. Once you said everything is irrational, then nothing is irrational. So if we try and, and make everything that's rational irrational, then the stuff that really is irrational is normal. And it's no longer irrational. I think that's kind of where he's going with his argument. He doesn't actually come out and say it. And I think there's a reason. Because if he actually came out and said it, the way it is implied, then you know it doesn't make any sense, right? The other thing I think he says, uh, which I got from listening to him, is that the less likely something is to be true, the more likely it is to be true. That's another example of what it is that he's doing. And when you say it that way, you go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it is. But that, I think that's a line of reasoning that he's endorsing. Getting back to the, um, the molasses. The stupidest I, thing you've ever heard. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. No, the molasses thing. I'd never heard of this. I, I didn't look it up during the show. I want to give him a chance to explain himself so I can understand where he's coming from without interrupting him. Like Napoleon said, never interrupt your enemy while he's making a mistake. It's one of his maxims of military uh, strategy. Don't interrupt your enemy while they're making a mistake. Let him talk. Find out what it is that they're saying. And then, uh, you know, for all I knew, he was going to be totally lucid, but he ended up not being as lucid as I thought he might be. And we're talking about that now. So the, uh, the molasses thing, I did look it up, not then, but later. It wasn't 1912, like he said. It was 1919. So we can't trust anything he says. No, that would actually be a logical fallacy. It doesn't make any difference what year. But there was this huge explosion, right, in Boston. And I looked it up, and uh, there's this huge tanker full, not tanker, excuse me, a tank. It's not on sea. It's on ground in Boston. It's massive. It holds this massive amount of molasses, and it is offloaded from ships, right, into this 
big storage tank. And from there, it's uh, funneled out to wherever it is in the factory. But you read the article and what you find out is molasses has a whole bunch of ethanol in it. That it was January of 1919. It was below freezing. It's Boston for crying out loud in January. It's uh, commonly below freezing. And then they had just put a bunch of new molasses on a bunch of old molasses. And all of a sudden, that day, the temperature shot up to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it goes from below freezing all of a sudden up to above freezing. You got the ethanol. It's in this enclosed container, which is a big metal tank. And guess what happens? I, I'm going to guess the very thing that science would say should happen. Exactly. It was the absolute most rational thing that would happen, which is it exploded. Huh. And, and molasses went everywhere. It was a massive explosion. And it's totally understandable scientifically why it is to happen. If you look up the Wikipedia page, it explains it all. Thank you, you know, Kwaku, for suggesting I look there. But the whole thing is that is the rational thing that would happen. Now, is it something that happens every day? No. But you don't have these convergence of events every day either. The miracle would have been, the irrational thing would have been that with all this molasses in there, with the weather the way it was and everything else that's in molasses, the miracle would have been, the irrational thing would have been, irrational, if it hadn't exploded. Yeah. So The explosion was the most rational thing that would have happened. So science works. Yeah, it actually does. So the world now is only 49% irrational. Uh, right, because we've explained the great molasses explosion of 1919. Or 51, I guess, yeah. Yep. So his what he pointed out, that story, and again, I see this kind of crap all the time where you throw something out that your audience doesn't know, and then you move on and you never really have to explain it. Mm -hmm. I wish we would, would have known that story beforehand because that would have made the conversation deeply interesting. But what he was arguing for, if you go back and listen and you understand that that explosion, that's the rational thing that should have occurred, then mm -hmm. he's actually offering evidence of the counterpoint to his point. Yeah, he's like saying this it's rare, but this very rational, very scientifically understandable, and even predictable if they had known yeah. in advance. This very, very common, predictable, not common, understandable, predictable event now justifies his belief in things that literally are not rational. Right. Which uh which video would you like to tackle next, my friend? I don't know. Can we do the one where where I cross-examine? Kwaku, because there was a point toward the end there. By the way, I do want everybody to know this. When you had asked him your question, and I thought you did a marvelous job, by the way, of expressing why it was that people would or could feel offended by the TITS videos and the way that um, they were portrayed and the things that were said. I thought you did a great job of that. And then he started to respond to that. I don't know if you have that clip. But he responded to that in a way that showed a, a distinct lack of empathy and even flippancy in the face of what was obviously a very serious and very considered uh, question on your part. And that was about the halfway mark in the show. And I remember the thought that went through my mind at that point watching him was, Kwaku, all the goodwill that you have built up in the first half of this show you are losing now in the second half of the show. Yeah, gone, obliterated, decimated, yeah. done, finished. Yeah, I I don't have the clip, but um, you have the one. You don't have the one with me cross-examining him. Oh, you tell me what what which one of uh, Jonathan Streeter's titles is that? Do you remember? 
Is it, oh, is it called something about, is it lampshading or? One on lampshading. Let me put that up on the screen. I hope that's the one. We'll see if this is it. By the way, everybody, uh, Jonathan Streeter, if it did, I already mention this, took different clips, like three minutes and less of this show from last week. And he put them up on his YouTube channel at Thinker of Thoughts. And um, that was, of course, you know, he asked us if he could do it. We said, fine, that's, we're, we're happy for you to do that. So that's where we're getting these clips from. So uh, that's why when I'm saying I'm not sure what it is called, it's lampshading, speak to you directly. Is this it? Maybe. Let's see. I will say that's a really good face for the kinds of answers Quaku gave in this conversation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, look at my face. Do I always scowl like that? Oh, only when you're listening to nonsense. <laughs> okay, let's hope that this is the right one. Do I understand the polygamy? No, but I will say if God's the creator and inventor of marriage, he gets to do what he wants with it. And if at some point he says, marry more women, you're going to do it. And what if some of them are a little bit younger? Isn't that weird? Eh, in European countries, the age of consent's like 16. All of sex is weird. It's all weird. Um, when you guys were LDS, you were sealed to the temple and you were sealed to your sister. And then your daughter is going to be your sister. And then your daughter's going to get married and have sex with her husband, who is her brother. It's all weird. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with recognizing that it's not something that normal. But neither are Native American angels glowing, flying through time and space. Neither are golden plates. Neither is any of it. I'm fine with it. Okay, so at that point, I'm not doing quite as good a job of keeping a straight face. I think I'm still doing it admirably. But honestly, there was one point there where this line from Rocky Horror went through my mind when he's talking about marrying your sister. And I'm not going to repeat it here. And I, I almost said it then, but I thought, you know, not enough people are going to get this. And this is going to sound really offensive if I just blurred out with this little line. But what I'm thinking is what he's doing is once again, what I said, it's everything's weird. Actually, I think he said that, didn't he? He did. Sex is weird for crying out loud. One of the most natural things in the entire planet, I suppose. Um, but uh, sex is weird. And everything's weird. And therefore, because everything's weird, nothing's weird. Yeah, sex, I think, makes us uncomfortable because it is this taboo topic in our society, our culture, our world, and places. But sex is probably the most normal thing on all of planet Earth. Yeah, I would think so. So, um, and the other thing was this. As, he's, as I'm listening to him, and I'm trying to follow his line of reasoning as best I can, it sounds like he starts here, okay? Um, Joseph Smith taught about the pre-mortal existence, right? And he taught that we're all literally uh, spirit children of our Heavenly Father, boys and girls, apparently. And then we come down to this earth, and now we get married, and therefore we're marrying our, our brothers and our sisters, right? And our children is our, our daughter's our sister, and she's marrying another guy who's her brother. And now it's all this incestuous kind of uh, relationship going on. And so then compared to that, what Joseph Smith taught about polygamy well, that's no big shakes, right? There's no great shakes because what is that compared to everybody engaged in incest? Right. That was what I, I heard. But when you break that down, what, you, what it ends up being, because Joseph Smith taught this about uh, the premortal existence, then marriage becomes incestuous no matter who it is you're marrying because they're always going to be somebody that you're a brother or sister to. And then Joseph Smith's teachings on polygamy are normal compared to that. And then we end up getting up here and you contract this circle that he has constructed as far as an argument goes. His argument is Joseph Smith was a prophet. And because Joseph Smith was a prophet, we know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. 
It's an absolutely circular argument. Right. If I don't start with the premise that everybody is my pre-mortal spirit, brother and sister, then I don't like that. That belief is absurd. If Mormonism is absurd, I don't have to believe that I can believe a thousand other things. I can believe we are reincarnated. I can believe lots of crazy things about the afterlife or the, or how I got here. The reality is if I don't start with that premise, I don't get to use that premise as evidence that some other thing that that premise supports is true. Right. And like Jonathan Streeter has pointed out, if your argument, the argument you're using on behalf of your religion and your beliefs works equally as well with another religion that you believe is false, then you know it's of no value in supporting any truth claims. Yeah. It's a wood tool is what he calls it, right? Instead of a... Yeah, wood tool and steel tools. Instead of a steel tool, mm -hmm. right? So, and that seems to be um, everything that Kwaku has in his quiver is made out of wood. Yeah. By the way, somebody pointed out, Kwaku makes it okay that same-sex couples is not weird. It's only weird when it's your brother marrying your sister, your sister marrying your brother, but brother-brother seems to be okay. I'm okay, just, I'm thinking something else, and I'm not going to say it. I really deserve like some gold stars today, I think. I'm, my dad, that's how I got taught to be potty trained, was my dad put invisible gold stars in the medicine cabinet if I could tinkle in the toilet. And so I wanted those gold stars, and they weren't real. When I got old enough to reach the cabinet, they weren't all stored in there. <laughs> so anyway, a little story from my life. Well, I'm, thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate that. No problem. So can we get to the one that has me cross-examining him? I mean, there's there's several of these. So they're all good. I don't know which one that is. I've got apologetic blunder, staying quiet. Staying oh, the quiet part. Is it the quiet part? Uh no, that's the ooh, that's the part where he talks about Joseph Smith being a, a god. And pinpoint these. So the ones I've got lined up, these are all of them. This is apologetics. One okay, wait. Look at look at the freeze frame on me there. Yeah, you're you're doubting what's. Been, <laughs> you're, that's you're that's a, classic. <laughs> I'm looking away because otherwise I'll look pissed in the screen. Um, yeah, just go ahead and play that one. Play that one. Whatever it was when. Uh, what is it when an apologist says the party's supposed to not say when he's supposed to be quiet about? Oh, about Joseph Smith is a god on the Council of Seven Gods. Yeah, here's that one. Can, can I ask you a question here? I apologize once again to the caller, but you're saying that made me think of a question, and I want to be as delicate as possible when I ask this. It's kind of personal. Uh, Kwaku, how is it that you personally have resolved in your mind the issue of the priesthood ban? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the way I look at it is my my faith in, in regard to the, this dispensation Joseph Smith is is like Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Mother, Adam. Joseph Smith is right there, right? If you're to do like a hierarchy, okay? After that, it's everyone else. Joseph Smith as the prophet of the dispensation, as one of the seven gods who's on the council, that's who like we need I, I pay attention to what he said and wrote. Afterward, you have prophets who are not dispensational prophets, but they are prophets, and I'm not expecting I do not hold them to the same standard I hold Joseph Smith. So they can make doctrinal and mistakes, they can make a social mistakes, they can make a ton of mistakes, and I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> priesthood ban was implemented by Brigham Young. Do I think it was the most sparkling thing ever? I don't. But did it come from Joseph Smith? It didn't. And because of that, 
you know, eh. yeah, it sucks. I mean, I wish we were the. I wish we could be the church that could walk around the bragging rights of we weren't the racist ones, guys. You were, and you were. We were good. Unfortunately, no church can really make that claim. But I don't expect it to. I didn't join thinking that we would have this stellar record with the race. The Book of Mormon has prejudice between the Nephites and the Lamanites. One was the Church of God. One wasn't. It, it makes sense that we had that again today. There was a priesthood man. I'm happy I wasn't alive when it was around. Um, but like I said, it's not. A, did Joseph have that vision? Right. Did he actually see Moroni and did he translate those plates? Did he speak to Peter, James, and John? Because if he did, that's what matters. Okay. What so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm understanding you to say that you believe the priesthood ban was a mistake. Um, yeah, kind of. Uh, it, I believe it was a mistake in the way that um, God will allow things to happen and God will work everything. What the, the term, the counterworking of his will, he can take anything and make it work for good. So whether that was purely Brigham Young just being a jerk or it was him being confused and the prejudice won over or whatever it was that was going on in the psyche, God made it work. It's going to make it work for the best. That's the way I see it. So I, I, I don't believe that Brigham Young was just praying and God said, take away the priesthood man from the blacks. Again, God could do that if he wanted to. He, he could. He made us. It's his priesthood. He could. But do you don't that. believe he did. I don't believe he did. No. Okay. Yeah, that was one point where I thought I wanted to ask the question and try and do it as delicately as possible for obvious reasons. But uh, Quaker will just go on and on and on. I mean, it's like somebody put a quarter in him, and uh, I actually had to finally, you know, just stop and say, Quaker, Quaker. Okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm understanding you to say that the priesthood ban was a mistake, which is obviously what he's saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then he goes off and keeps talking, right? So then he starts talking about how, well, uh, basically Joseph Smith is gold. We know that because he's on one of the he's one of the gods in the Council of the Seven Gods. Something I've never heard of before in my life. What's what's the source for that? Because he just talked about how prophets besides the seven god family that was i don't again we don't have a source there's no source um he kind of makes that up on his own and then he also balances it up against not trusting prophets who are just making shit up on their own i have no idea where he came up with this i will tell you i'm somewhat well studied in in mormonism in the history of its doctrine i've never heard that one before in my life the closest uh, thing is there's a prophet at the head of each of the dispensations that i've heard there are six dispensations that have happened. Seven. Well, yeah, but isn't the seventh the millennium? No. Joseph okay. Smith is the seventh. So you have, again, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll defer and say seven, but um, I think there may be some argument there. This we'll, is the last dispensation, baby, yeah. remember? Dispensation yeah. of the fullness of times. And, and each of those prophets, now again, Heavenly Father is not the head of a dispensation. No, but Jesus is. He does, uh, he like multitasks. But so Adam and then, you know, whatever, Moses and Abraham and Noah and whatever else there was. There are prophets at the head of the dispensations, and they're kind of equal, right? They're big guys. They're big guys. There's not any doctrine that really says that one is higher up than another, right? No, that's why they're all in a council. Yeah. And then there's Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, which he includes in the seven. I know. He's right up there. He's right up there 
with Heavenly Fa- Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and I'm thinking, well, Heavenly Father better keep Joseph away from Heavenly Mother. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. She better not work in the home, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Somebody stop me. I, I did think your cross-examination was great. I love that you knew. You knew he had the he had it. Like, you just had to keep plugging away at it and answer, asking him the question. And but he didn't of, want to say it. No, he didn't. And he, he was hinting at it, but and I knew that's what he thought and what he was indicating, yeah. that he thinks it's a mistake. So I said, so you're, you're saying it's a mistake? Well, yeah. And then he starts dancing around some more, right? And then he starts coming up with this other idea because he's not actually, he wasn't actually telling us what he believed, which is what I was trying to get at, which is what he believed. I'm, I'm not into finding out if it's right or wrong, but yeah. I just want to find out what he believes. And he was being evasive about it. And so then he starts going into this other thing about, well, you know, it's God's priesthood. He could give it to whoever he wants, right? It's up to him. And I knew that this is just another apologetic uh, argument that's used when this subject comes up. And that's not a mistake if it's God doing it, right? So I said, but you don't really believe that. And he said, no. And that was it. I almost said, thank you, Your Honor. No further questions. Yeah, yeah, you, and you should have. <laughs> good. But the other thing is, and I've been thinking about this too. The thing is this, is that this apologetic of it's a mistake. Okay, I can understand that because, yeah, I think it was a huge mistake, right? And I think he was being honest about that. But it's a mistake made by Brigham Young because Joseph Smith had it right, right? That's the position. And uh, I think it's probably a position that a lot of people hold, and I probably hold it myself. But the idea then is that he jumps to this other apologetic, which is that God can give it to whoever he wants. Now, that's not only a different argument, it's also a contradictory argument to the one he just made that it's a mistake. Because if God gives it to whomever he wants, then it's not a mistake. And actually Joseph Smith got it wrong by giving it to black people, the priesthood, and Brigham Young got it right by withholding it. Yeah. So that's that's the thing that occurred to me later. It's not just different ways of looking at it, they're, they're contradictory, you can't, you can't have them both at the same time. Unless God is always changing his mind, which then makes God untrustable. Well, uh, there's November of 2015 to April of 2020? 18. Oh, 19. Yeah, that's right. Beginning of 19. That's right. That was a very quick uh, flip-flop for God. Yeah, that Heavenly Father, such a trickster. God was for the war in Iraq before he was against it. Yeah. Is there any other ones of these that you think are important to go over today? I'm not sure that there really are. I know that they're all available. Uh, Jonathan put them up. And these things are going like wildfire. People are sharing them here and there and everywhere. And um, Jeremy Reynolds, over his YouTube channel, I saw today that he had taken a lot of those clips and maybe made a couple of his own in addition and put up this 15-minute video in which he puts uh, commentary on it because he finds it remarkable, the things that Kwaku was saying, like many people are finding it. And I want to, once again, in defense of me, and us and how we conducted the interview, those things would not be out there with Kwaku saying these things if we had not give him the ability to speak his mind and say what it was that he wanted to say without continually trying to interrupt him, to contradict him. Yeah, yeah, we'll head here into the phone call portion. Let me give my kind of concluding comments um, about this particular, the two things we covered. When it comes to Natasha, I'm, I feel horrible about the way she was treated. And yet I also, I think you feel the same way. We didn't expect anything less than what happened. That's, that's kind of what I expected to happen. Um, 
I think that I don't have a right to say she's better off outside the church. I don't, I don't have a right to do that. I don't know her story and I don't know her experience or what she wants or what her motives are. Um, I can guess by seeing her because I've been around her enough to know that she's a good human being and cares about other people. And she makes a deep effort to help people find more healthiness in their life. By the way, isn't the only real charge against her is that she was given data driven therapeutic advice being professionally trained to people and essentially doing what she's mandated to do, which is to give data-driven therapeutic uh, um, counseling and resources to people, right? Uh, apparently not. Now, I don't know all the details, okay? So I can't vouch for the accuracy of this. All I know is I did read the two-page state president's letter that was dated today and probably emailed, and that's why she got it today and posted it up on her website. But he tries to make the distinction. It has nothing to do about how you treat people or whatever. It has to do with you making open, public, uh, maybe sometimes rude or uncivil comments, uh, challenging the leaders of the church and the doctrine and this and that. That's what it is that they said, that the state president said, that she was excommunicated for it, not for anything she was doing in her, her private therapy sessions. Gotcha. Whether that's true, I don't know, but that's the way it's framed in the letter. Gotcha. Okay. And so I can't say whether out of the church she's better off or not. She gets to decide that. I can tell you that for a lot of people, exiting the church takes a great weight off and you get to claim back your autonomy if you've never had it before. You get to you get to uh, claim back individuality if you haven't had it before. Um, I should, I'm saying that wrong. But if you haven't had it before, obviously you're claiming it for the first time. But hopefully you're reclaiming. Hopefully you felt at times in your life autonomy and individuality. Um, as people individuate, they tend to be happier, more at peace. They tend to uh, be better critical thinkers, be more rational thinkers. They tend to do a better job in feeling like they're growing and, and grabbing on new information. I hope that that's true for Natasha. I hope that outside the church, she finds that she's a happier, healthier human being, um, and she deserves that. To Kwaku, um, that night I was emotionally disturbed. I was wrecked, and I was exhausted emotionally when I left and got home. By the, by the time I got up the next morning, I was back feeling kind of my peppy step that I normally do. And I'm kind of a guy who always wakes up on the right side of the bed. What I came to the conclusion of is I really can kind of let him go. I really can. And I had some conversations this week where I just showed my support for John DeLynn as he was dealing with this allegation coming out again. And Kwaku did jump in and participate. And Kwaku tried to make it about uh, – women and abuse and trauma, as I showed from the quote earlier, that really wasn't his motive and he was going about it the wrong way. And I asked a question that some perceived as being racist, but I stand by it uh, because uh, he said, Bill, don't you care about women? I said, surely I do. In fact, Kwaku, I love your passion. How do you feel about Joseph Smith's predatory behavior towards the uh, women such as uh, Nancy Rigdon, Fanny Alger, uh, Lucy Walker, the Partridge sisters, um, Lauren Tracy. Yeah. And who? The Partridge who? sisters. Oh, the Partridge Lauren Tracy. I gotcha. You threw me off there. Okay. Uh, Eliza and what's the other, what's the other one's name? I don't know. Danny. No, no, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Danny. I got to go back to not saying everything that comes into my head again. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and his answer was, I don't give a shit what happened 200 years ago. And then I knew I had him. So the next day I put a question out, which was Kwaku as a 24 year old person of color. Do you just not care about the plight of women 200 years ago? Or do you not care about any history 200 years ago? 
And at that point, he exited the conversations completely and has not participated in those since. Um, people will say that that was a racist thing to say. It wasn't. Where's the racism? I was waiting for the racist part. It's a question that walks him into the corner of his own thinking that that he has painted himself into a corner. And you can tell with this kid, he doesn't hold the same ground that he wants to say. Like he's saying one thing, but inside there are other things moving around and bouncing around. Um, and he doesn't want to be honest to that. And so after all that, I said, you know what? I can walk away from this kid because he's just not that smart. And what I mean by that, I don't mean intelligence. I, he might have a higher IQ than me. He's not a good critical thinker. He doesn't even understand what critical thinking is. By watching his apologetic videos on tits, he doesn't have a good understanding of the issues in Mormonism. He doesn't understand how apologetics, how those answers are trying to frame the, as a solution. He doesn't understand the shortcomings of those answers. He doesn't understand that any one of these things that he is spouting like the worst kind of apologetics, the ones that are completely irrational. And he doesn't know how to face the absurdity of his own mind. And so for me, actually, at this point, I'm really at peace and I don't plan on going forward unless he does something completely stupid again to spend much more time on him. He, what are the odds of that? They're pretty good that he will do that, huh? Um, and so we probably will be talking Kwaku again. But as, so long as he's not on. Would it be irrational for us yeah. to think that he's going to do something stupid? That's what that I want to know. would be irrational, and that's not 50% of the world. Um, I, I recognize that this kid really, other than being the face that Mormonism wanted to put at the front, for its young people, he doesn't do anything in his brain in any kind of healthy way. He's not a healthy person. I, I felt that. And again, I could be wrong. I'm going to say that looking at him, watching him, seeing him interact, I don't think he's very healthy. I don't think he's a good person because even bad people can fake empathy and he couldn't even do that. And I also believe that his solutions to the problems inside Mormonism are really coming from like a third grade level. They're not very smart. And so for that reason, I'm able to kind of just step away at this point and not talk about him anymore. Your thoughts before we take a call. Okay. Well, um, I don't know. He may be very intelligent. He might be very rational, but I think that what happened last week was highlighted the extent to which um, many Latter-day Saints sacrifice their intelligence and their ability to think rationally on the altar of their beliefs. So they will sacrifice that in order to maintain the belief. And I feel like that's what we saw uh, very vividly portrayed with Kwaku last week. The last thing I'll say is on his show, when he reels people in, no pun intended, Bill, when he reels people in, that was supposed to be a joke. Okay, where's the laugh track? Okay, that he's <laughs> when he reels people in by saying, hey, I'm going to do an apology to John DeLynn and then turn it around and make it the absolute opposite. Okay, the credibility is all that we have in this podcast arena. If we don't have credibility, we really don't have anything. And to say, hey, I'm going to do an apology and then turn right around and show that you were fibbing is a nice word for it, that you weren't telling the truth. And why is it that anybody, after you've lied to them to get them to watch your video, why should anybody trust anything you have to say after that? That was one of the things that came to me and I'll leave it at that. Is someone calling Bill? Yeah, I've got a call here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna unmute here. Is it Kwaku? No. So go ahead and share your name, caller, and uh, you're on the air, Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. And uh, if somebody hears an echo again, just let me know, and I'll, I'll change it up. But uh, you are live on the air with us. What's on your mind tonight? 
Okay. Um, so my name is FW. I've called you guys before. Um, I actually have like a unique um, insight to share here. <clears throat> my dad, and I don't talk about this very often, but I've started two more. My dad was uh, Sonia Johnson's bishop in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, mm. And without getting into all the details of that, you know, like my dad was the bishop who called her in for the, her excommunication trial. And when Kate Kelly was on that podcast with Cardin and, and uh, Kwaku and all of them, um, I realized that there's like Mormonism is this intersection for like all of these different paths that these people are on. Kate Kelly was in it and then she kind of like moved on and she's gone off to other things. Um, and she's talking to these guys and they bring her on as like the enemy of, uh, of their, or like, like, like their allies or something. And what she explained to them, if you watch that podcast, like she, she hit them between the eyes with like a pallet of bricks (laughs) with like the damage that the church is doing. And they didn't even realize it like all they could think about was like, okay, Kelly's on here to dish and like, yay, we're winning, you know? And this is like the common theme that we're seeing is that there are people who are real, real people who are caught up in these issues who are chewed up and spit out in the church. And there are real victims right now, uh, specifically with this current issue of you have like kids, harming themselves and committing suicide. And we're having this pissing match over like, who's going to win this like popularity fight or something. And I feel like that's where Kwaku's coming from. And he's incapable of recognizing that the institution that he's defending is responsible for real harm that is happening in the world. And that the people who are standing up to say something about it and, and, and defend, stand up for the like what's right and what's true, are thrown under the bus. Their their reputation is destroyed, um, and I know for a fact that, that 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 those conversations happen behind closed doors. You know how are we going how are how are we going to spin this so that the church can maintain some type of uh, pristine reputation and this this you know kind of like outcast person can be villainized that happens. It's happened over and over and over again. And then the people who were villainized, the church winds up coming around anyway and, and adapt and adopting whatever issue they were fighting for. Sam Young, Sonia Johnson, Natasha Helfer, go back all the way back to, you know, Oliver Cowdery calling out Joseph Smith with Fanny Alger, you know, like eventually the church embraces polygamy publicly, but up until that point, people were being excommunicated left and right for speaking out against it. It's the same thing today. It's the exact same thing today. And it's just tragic that people's lives are on the line. Thank you, my um, friend. Yeah. Appreciate so that. That's more a comment, but no, okay. go ahead. Mm. Sorry, there was a long pause. So I hung up before he continued. Um, Next caller, by the way, feel free to call in. Somebody pick up the phone and call. I didn't mean to cut him off. I, did, I thought he was done, and then he said he had more, and I told him to go ahead, and then it sounded like he had left us. So, um, Any thoughts there on the phone call, RFM? Uh, no, I watched some of that. I haven't watched everything over there on the other channel with Kay Kelly, but it was very funny uh, to see her and Kwaku and Cardin 
deciding that uh, the one thing in this entire world that they have in common is a hatred of another individual. So it's very much like the New Testament scene of the Sadducees and the Pharisees who hate each other's guts. But the one thing they can agree on is they hate Jesus more. So they're going to join forces to get rid of him. And then once he was gone, of course, I'm sure they went back to their old ways. Right, right. Uh, Roger, you're on the air, Mormonism Live. You're on with RFM and Bill Real. Yes, RFM. Uh, there was a certain individual uh, years ago that put on a, a podcast named Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. You wouldn't know who that would be, would you, Bill? Uh, hmm. uh, I think he's the head of the X-Men. <laughs> he's Dr. X. The absolute direct words of uh, Elder Holland, where he taught openly and directly that God is a liar and a deceiver and that he lies to us and deceives us for a purpose so that we'll go the right way. Mm. I always grew up defining a liar and a deceiver as Satan and not the God that I worship. And you're talking today about a God that can't get it straight. He keeps changing his mind. Well, if he's a liar and a deceiver, you have to understand that when you lie, you, you have to keep changing it so you get it right. That's yeah. the problem with a liar and a deceiver. Always shifting. So, so I I would suggest that we need to worship a different God than one that is a liar and a deceiver and is constantly uh, changing his mind to cover his own tracks. I love it, Roger. Thank you very much, my friend. You're welcome. Bye. Yeah, well, look, God is getting old, and sometimes he forgets things, and I think we just have to be a little more understanding. By the way, I said Dr. X earlier. It's Professor X. Professor Xavier. You're Professor X, baby. Yeah, I I think there are better folks to run that show. I'll just be Wolverine. Oh, hey, that's the coolest one of all. Yeah, that's why I like that guy. Um, Anyway, uh, let's go ahead. We've got another call coming in. I'll I'll pull it right up here. Caller, go ahead and share your name. You are on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. Season. Season. Love it. Go ahead. You're on the air, my friend. Millions of people are waiting to hear what you have to say. Can you hear me? You're on the air. Okay. Go ahead. I just want to add a comment about Quaku. Sorry for my bad English because... I'm not even American. I'm from Brazil. Okay, go ahead. All right, I think I'm going to let that one go. Oh, no. That kind of sounded a little bit like Kwaku. I wonder if we were being set up. I thought maybe he knew Kwaku when he was a kid and he was going to give us some great stories. Yeah, I thought that sounded just a little bit like it. Look at this one. You're going to like this. Thank you, Bill and RFM. Appreciate you guys. $49.99. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Jacob Williams. Yeah. Caller, go ahead and share your name. You are on the air with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Look at this one. You're going to like this. Thank you, Bill and RFM. Go, go ahead and turn down your sound on your machine there and uh, go ahead and tell us what you've got for us. Hello? Caller, go ahead and share your name. You are on the air with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. I don't I don't know if this is too difficult, RFM. No, I've heard this before on like radio shows back when they did radio shows on the AM channels. If you call in, 
please call in. We'd love to have you call in, but you've got to turn the volume down on the show itself. Otherwise, what happens is what you just heard happen there. Yeah, and if it rings, you're probably in. Call from. Caller, you are on the air. Share your name and uh, let us know what you're thinking. Fernando. Fernando, go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, one thing that uh, when Natasha, when the news of Natasha came that she was going to be excommunicated, that came to my mind um, was the quote from Packer that I think it kind of like got swept under the rug, um, where he was saying that the three enemies of the church were homosexuals, um, feminists, and intellectuals. And it's amazing how, like, all of the big um, excommunications lately have been exactly just that, intellectuals like uh, yourself and John DeLynn and Jeremy Reynolds and now Natasha Helfer. And how much, it, I don't know, it just made me also connect to the idea that um, the, those intellectuals are like, quote unquote, now the lazy learners and how to be in a Mormon in a good standing, you have to exactly be just that, a lazy learner. Um, and I don't know, I just thought about like all of the connection of like all of these little things, if that makes sense. I don't know how to like elaborate it further, but I think you got the message. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Have a great night. What a wonderful call. I think we're becoming a truly international show. Do I get 30% of this donation back? Love you guys. <laughs> $2. Thank yeah. you, Alan Mount. Thank you for everybody who's been contributing. I, I want to say thank you, but then sometimes people are calling when it comes up on the screen. Uh, who is this Brendan person that everybody's saying, call Brendan? Why don't you call Brendan? Who is that? Do you know who that is, Bill? Yeah. So Brendan seems to be a believer who in the comments is just saying, again, irrational stuff and folks no. are trying to correct him. They're inviting him to call in. Thinking, is that Brendan Frazier? I, I don't think it's Brendan Frazier. I, would, I haven't heard from him in a while. I would welcome that phone call. We could get a good soundbite from him and replace the Packer one we use. That'd be great. Um Caller, you are on the air with uh, Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. State your name and tell us what you've got on your mind. Hey, guys, uh, this is Eric. I'll try to be quick so that Brendan Fraser can call in. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Eric. <laughs> but be careful. You know, he does carry the curse of the mummy with him. Um, Very good. One, one thing I think is interesting about Kwaku is, is I think to some degree the church may have created a monster that ends up hurting the church mm -hmm. in the end. And, and the reason I think that is, is one of the really interesting things about Kwaku, or at least his most recent version. Kwaku has changed versions in the last few years. He, he's kind of a troll, and he shifts to whatever version he needs to rile people up the most. But when he started his Stone 16 uh, podcast, the first episode was about sex, and it was about the fact that premortal sex, premarital sex, wasn't that big of a deal. And, and that really kind of surprised me that, that he came out with that at very first. A couple episodes later, his, his episode was on, on the fact that uh, women dressing immodestly wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, he's come out and said gay marriage isn't that big of a deal. On his um, podcast with Kate Kelly, Kelly, he was all about how much he loved feminism and whatnot. He's clearly not really worried about the appearance of sin with his parties and things he does does down in Provo. I think what Quaku has been doing 
is showing that you can be a, a a allegedly believing member of the church, a, a, a prideful member of the church, someone who loves being Latter Day Saint, a Latter Day Saint, and not do what the brethren teach. And as dangerous as you, Bill, are to the church, and as dangerous as RFN may be to the church, I think perhaps even more dangerous is the idea that you can be Mormon but not do what the brethren say. And I have a feeling that absolutely terrifies them. I think that's why Kwaku is starting to be blacklisted. I think that's why he's been scrubbed from the three Mormons. Just wondered, uh, wondered what you guys thought about that. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. We'll end on that call, too. That was a great phone call. Thank you. You bet. What about, yeah, thank you for that. I think that's a, a great point. What, what do you do? How do you handle a, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Or in this case, how do you solve a problem like Kwaku? Well, I guess you take his videos down at the two places where he's been, and the only place he can appear is on his own channels or on very Christ-like uh, critical channels such as ours, uh, because apparently he's not getting any play in uh, church-sponsored channels anymore, at least not that I know. Maybe he'll resurrect himself in some way. Yeah. And I, I want. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I just want to say for Brendan, uh, if you would like, if you will Facebook message me, I would welcome sometime in the near future. We would love to have you on and have your perspective be in a conversation with me and RFM, but you're going to have to be willing to let us ask questions and you give, you know, give solid answers. But I think that'd be a lot of fun. Again, I think at some point, RFM, somebody's going to take us up on it where they hold a believing perspective. They think we're being ridiculous in the things we're saying, and they're going to allow us to ask them questions. I can't wait for that day. To be honest, it'll be like Christmas morning. Um, so I'm kind of excited for that. Uh, donations have been hot and heavy, and those, so those are great. Thank you, everybody. By the way, so Brendan, there's been all this stuff going on in the comments that I have not seen. I know you can see them, but I and everybody's watching can see them, but I can't. I only see them later on. But yeah. uh, has he called? No, no, he hasn't called, but everybody's inviting him to, and I would welcome that. If he messages me on Facebook, I absolutely will set up a time for him to sit down with us for an hour, and uh, we'll give him the questions even ahead of time. Um, okay. Well, I hope he calls because I'd hate to have to start doing this and making my chicken sound. Brock, brock, yeah. brock. Or the cricket noise, right? <laughs> to the to the to what the last caller said, yes, I think Kwaku at the end of the day is not good for the church because anybody who's listening to Kwaku and giving him a place for their beliefs to be uh, amended or altered or informed, they're already leaving orthodoxy. And he's already inviting them to take nuanced positions, which will have those folks, number one, recognizing that he is very different from what the church is teaching. And second, if they start going down the rabbit hole, that becomes a slippery slide really quick. And there's no brakes on that machine. Indeed. Well put. Any closing you before we call tonight? No, uh, but I'm, I'm dying to close out get home and check out all these comments. Perfect. I will, uh, we'll stop there and, uh, we'll just roll the music. Yeah.